like to read, if you have a Bible tonight, in Luke 23, Luke chapter 23, we're going to read one of the more famous accounts of a man who's otherwise known as the thief on the cross. The thief on the cross, we're going to read uh, just an account of some of the things he said tonight, and I'd like to speak on that. So if you have a Bible, Luke 23, and uh, we'll start reading there at verse 39, Luke 23 and verse 39. Luke 23 and verse 39. This is what the, uh, the writer Luke has recorded here for us. And one of the malefactors which were hanged railed on him saying, if thou be the Christ, save thyself and us. But the other, this is the other criminal, the other malefactor, he answering rebuked him saying, don't you fear God, seeing that we are in the same condemnation, and we indeed justly, for we receive the due rewards of our deeds. What he's saying is we're getting what we deserve. But this man, he's talking about the Lord Jesus now, hath done nothing amiss. And he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, today shalt thou be with me in paradise. Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. I'd like to speak on this man tonight. He's, um, he's one of the more famous individuals in our Bible for many reasons. One of them is that 700 years before the Lord Jesus ever came, there was a prophecy in your Bible, in the book of Isaiah, and it said this, that, that, that the, the one who was going to suffer would one day, he would, he would be numbered with the lawless or with the transgressors. And, and you could have read that and you would have said, well, that makes sense, Dave, that he was going to be crucified with other criminals. But when you read that prophecy, you never would have imagined, never in a thousand years, that the criminals he was going to be numbered with, one of them would get saved. You never would have supposed that when you would have read the prophecy. So the story means a lot for that reason, that, that this man doesn't even know it. When he was born, he was already on the pages of Scripture. When, when he was born, and, and we don't know his name, we don't know his age, we don't know his family, we don't know, what he, we don't know where he lived, we, we know nothing about him, and yet his, he was on the pages of the Bible before he was ever born. It's a really unique thing about this man that we read about. I also like this man because I've said about him, and I don't know if you could say it about too many people, he picked a great day to die. You wouldn't say that about anyone. No one, the day they die, I, it doesn't care. You know, you, you often you look at, at life and you say, oh, it's good that he went then because you look ahead and you'd say, look what, it, what he had to have seen or look what he would have had to endure. But this man picked a unique day to die because of the man that he died with. I looked up men who coincidentally died on the same day. I found out this, that both John Adams and Thomas Jefferson they signed the Declaration of Independence on a July 4th, and they both did it. And they both died on the same day. And you would guess what day that was. It was July 4th, 18, I think it was 1826, uh, if I have it right. And you'd say, how unique to die in the same day. I also found out C.S. Lewis and John F. Kennedy. Everyone knows about John F. Kennedy, died on November 22nd. But C.S. Lewis... Uh, a great writer and a great Christian apologist. He died on the same day. You say, so unique. You almost, uh, 
You, you, you could remember that because of great men who die in the same day, but it, it, it could be just ironic. And yet this man, you say the day that he died, I can imagine them leading him out that day. And as he's, as he's handcuffed and he's with his, uh, his partner in crime there, they could have almost said, is it just us two? Is it just the two of us? And they could have said, no, there's a third. Who's the third? Who's the third man? And they could have said, the creator of heaven and earth. And he would have said, I picked a great day to die. Next to the one man who can actually bring me home. I'm going to die next to the one man who gives life. The one man who knows the number of the hairs on our head, knows the number of days we'll be in this world. The one man who will decide whether you will be in heaven or in hell. And you say, does he really decide? He went to the cross to make it absolutely a guarantee that you could be in heaven if only you would believe that he died for you. And here's the one man. And you say, he picked a great day to die. You say, it's so unique that you have one dying man asking another dying man to remember him. And you'd say, they have so many similarities. If you went by the cross that day, you wouldn't know Jesus Christ from the criminal. You wouldn't have known the differences. You said there was nothing special about either one in appearance. They both would have been bloodied. They both would have been, have been beaten. They both would have been struggling there as they're hanging on a cross. And yet one man could forgive and one man stood to be forgiven. Same thing for you tonight. The same thing is offered to you tonight that was offered to us. That's why I speak on this man. Because I believe that the Lord Jesus Christ died on April 3rd, AD 33. And that when he died, I take it this is the first man to go home with him. And if he made it there, however he made it, you'll make it. No different. No different. However he got home, you'll get home. However he got saved, you'll get saved. However he was forgiven, you will be forgiven. And so we, we mentioned this man here, this thief who was dying on a cross. I want to look at three words. And really the words have to do with things that he said that day. Because we record a man's last words. They're significant. Some men have them put on their tombstones. Some men have them if there's a monument made for them. They always remember the man's last words. Well, we're given this man's last words. We're not given his name, but we're given his last words. And I just want to look at each one of the things that he said. And I want to take a look at some of the words that are associated with it. I want to look at these three words, the words amazed. I want to look at the word undeserved. And then I like to look at the word remembered. That's amazed undeserved and remembered amazed i think of what this man said as he's hanging there he looks at his his i want to call him i always want to say his buddy but that seems almost like it was a uh, too special but the other criminal there and he says don't you fear god and sometimes because of the way we use fear today when we use the word fear, it has to do with being scared. It has to do with uh, something unexpected taking our attention. And yet when you look at fear in the Bible, it's a unique word. And more often than not, it means to be amazed. To be amazed at something. To be just awestruck. To be amazed is to, to be in fear of the divine. And you can, you can take it there as he, he would have to have leaned forward to get the attention of the other man and said, don't you fear God? Aren't you amazed? And you'd say, what was there to be amazed at? On that, on that Friday, what was there to be amazed at? I would say nothing else other than this, than that the man on the center tree was God himself. 
Aren't you amazed, you'd say? Isn't it something unbelievable to think that the one hanging in between us is the same one who has hung the earth on nothing? It's the same man. You'd say, Dave, I don't believe that he thought that. He called him Lord. You tell me what he's meant. He called him Lord. And you'd say, a significant, a significant title here that he says, aren't you amazed? Aren't you amazed at what this man is doing? And you'd say, sometimes in our lives, what is it that, what is it that stops the amazement of the God of heaven? What is it that, that makes him more amazing or less? What is it that, that makes it so astounding. And I think more than not, one thing that dulls it is just the proximity. You'd say he's so far, he's, he's so distant. And yet, yet for this man, he was right next to him. He was right next to him. You'd say there was nothing of the distance. You know, the night that I got saved, I recognized how close Jesus Christ had come when I realized he went to the cross for me. He went there for my sake. And so this man's words, aren't you amazed? I look at his next word there. He says, undeserved, undeserved. And when you say undeserved, he says, we're getting what we deserve. I'm just getting what I deserve. You say, but he's pointing to the man on the center tree and he's saying, he's not. He's not here for his own sins. He's here for someone else's. And you'd say, the man there, he says, I'm just getting what I've earned. I've earned a cross. I've earned a death. I've earned to be here. He goes, but not this man. Not this man. He, he doesn't deserve this. And you'd say, that was such a unique, a unique insight on his part to recognize that, that he had robbed people his whole life. He had stolen from people. He had taken without, without asking. You'd say his whole life had been taking, stealing, robbing, of, of, of taking people of what belonged to them. That was, that was the summation of his description. And yet the last act of his life is that he got robbed. Because Christ robbed him of every single one of his sins. He got robbed. And you'd say, what a turnaround. What a turnaround that what he spent his whole life doing. It just is the contrast at the end of his life Instead of stealing one more thing, he gets robbed of every single one of his sins. You say, that's a remarkable thing. And you know what? It is the same today. My whole life I've been a sinner. There's never been a day from the August 20th birthday that I have until this day, today, July, what is it, 22nd? You'd say there's never been a day in my life where I have not been a sinner. It has characterized me and described me every step, every breath, every thought of the way. And yet there was a day in my life where I realized Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That's who I was. It was the one thing I knew best. It was the one person he came to save was the one thing I knew to do best. This man knew how to rob. And if anything, he knew when he was robbed. And he realized in those last hours of his life, he had been robbed of the one things that were taking him down to hell. He had been robbed of the one thing that was going to... And you'd say, you'd say, you know what? They belonged to him. Those were his. And you'd say, to have them taken like that, what a unique instance in which... And you'd say, what was it that allowed this man to be forgiven? What was it that gave him this guarantee? It's because he saw two things side by side on that afternoon. You'd say, I don't know if the darkness had descended yet. You'd say, but... As I take it there, he saw his guilt. He said, I'm getting what I deserve. And then he saw Jesus Christ. 
one who had done not one thing out of place. And you know what? He brought the two together. We never bring those together. When we go to church, you know what we do? We do this. We put ties on, right? We put white shirts on. If you're on a white shirt tonight, I don't know what you were thinking, right? Or were you thinking coming here without a white shirt on tonight? What do we do? We look our, we call it the Sunday best. You never swear in a church, right? You would never, you would never take God's name in vain in a church. We put our best foot forward and you'd say we do all this because we know that guilt should have nothing to do with God. And we try to separate the two. We say, if Monday to Saturday is me living how I want with my girlfriend, if Monday through Saturday is me saying whatever I want, me doing whatever I want, me partying however I want, me being as simple as I want, well then Sunday's different. Sunday's for God. And our whole lives go like that. We separate it six and one, six and one, six and one. And we say, keep them separated, my two lives. And God says, unless you bring them together, you'll never be in heaven. You'll never be saved because Christ died for the guilty. He died for the sinners. And there at that cross, his guilt and the, the, the holiness of Christ are brought together. And they're brought together in such a remarkable fashion that this man sees both of them for the first time. His guilt on Jesus Christ. And he recognizes right there, I can be forgiven. I can be forgiven because my whole life, I've, I've tried to keep all the things I've been doing hidden in a closet somewhere. We call them skeletons in closets sometimes. But to be honest, people, by the time they get done with life, they need a storage space for the amount of skeletons they've accumulated. And they say all the evils, all the wrongs, and yet if you were willing to take them and to say, you know what? No reason to hide them. Because if Christ died for sins, I want him to know every one. I want him to know every single one. If he really died for sins, Make it transparent that everyone was placed on him, and I could be forgiven. And this man, he recognized there, salvation is not deserved, nor is it earned, nor is it achieved, nor is it merited. Salvation is because I am guilty, and because God's holy son died in my place at Calvary. That's salvation. That's forgiveness of sins. This man wasn't baptized. He didn't have the last rites. He had never been in a temple, a synagogue, a chapel, a cathedral. He had never heard a pastor, probably. He had never seen a priest, and yet he's in heaven. Why? Because the man on the center tree can forgive sins, and no one else can. And he realized his guilt was on that man. Finally, he says, Lord, remember me. Remember me. You think memory sometimes, um, if, you're, if you're used to it, sometimes you're, you say, uh, memory goes as the years go by. I know that because um, I'm around people now who keep telling the same stories every week. I won't tell you who they are, but memory goes, right? You know, you hear that story on Friday, you're, just give it 30 days, it'll come back and make its routine again. Just, you'd say, memory, we say we forget what we said. Even, uh, you can imagine, uh, you'd say, did I even remember? You'd say, uh, what the verses, someone told me I was giving the same hymns out every night. And to be honest, I wasn't aware of that. You know, and you'd say, tonight, I just looked for some that I'd never sung before because memory just fails you. And you'd say, there, memory is a, is, a, is a curious thing. It was said of Alexander the Great. He had 30,000 soldiers. He remembered every one of their names. You say, I don't believe it. Unless I'm just telling you what the, what the facts say. Every one of their names. You'd say, that's amazing for memory. It was said about Mozart that he could hear a song and that he could write down every single note in the song from memory. 
It was said of Winston Churchill that he could remember verbatim every single one of William Shakespeare's works. Every single one. You say, what a memory. What a memory. My friend, if you want to be forgiven tonight, if you want to be saved, not only does it take it that God remembers you, but God has to forget something first. And the Bible tells us in Hebrews 10, those that believe on Jesus Christ, he says, their sins and their iniquities, I will remember no more. No more to be forgotten. You say, what is it that makes the memory so keen? If you're like me, I try to attach people and places. If I go into my high school gymnasium on Prospect Street in Midland Park, if I go into that gym, immediately I think of a man. He was my high school basketball coach. And I can't think of anyone else. When I go, as it were, down to the shore, when I go down there, you say, I think, I think of being down there as a kid with my cousins. I, I, I can't think of anything else. I, I associate them with that. Sometimes when I go up into Ontario and, and I'm going through these back, back roads, all I can think about are my grandparents because I used to spend summers with them up there. Of, of all the people that live there, I think of just a few people because, because of the place. You see, the place, it, it recalls a memory. Do you know? You say, how could I be forgiven? Because this is the key here. When Jesus Christ thinks of me, remembers me, he remembers one place, Calvary. Calvary. Because at that place, he died for my sins. When God looks at me, not only does he see his son, but he remembers Calvary, where my sins were taken care of. Where my sins were dealt with, you say, of all the things to remember, you think this man just simply says, Lord, just remember, remember me. It, it wasn't a plea for him to remember what he had done. Have you ever thought about that? Sometimes I, I've met people in these meetings and they say to me, you know, God saved me because I was going to, and they say something, I was going to be a great singer. I was going to be a, a, a great missionary. I was going to be a, a great artist. I was going to be a great this. Listen, my friend, if you get one thing tonight, God saves people for one reason and one reason only because of his son. It wouldn't matter if you failed for the next 60 years of your life. It wouldn't matter if you went on to be a nothing. Because you know what? Christ saves nothings. Christ saves sinners. And you'd say of all the things for him to remember. You know, there are people in our Bible. We read about them in Matthew chapter uh, 6, I think it is. Where you know what? They, they cast out demons. And they, they do miracles. And they even prophesy. And there's going to come a day. And the Lord says to them, I never knew you. I never knew you. Imagine that. Imagine seeing coming into the tent and doing a miracle tonight. Maybe casting out some demon somewhere. Or you'd say, telling us something about the future. You'd say, that surely would get you into paradise. No, my friend. No, it does nothing. God's not concerned with the wonders of your works. He's considered with the wonder of his son. He is, he is considering one man tonight. That is the beauty of salvation. Is that boasting is excluded. And pride is abased. Because only sinners are saved by grace. If you want to be saved tonight. If you want to know your sins forgiven. You, you know what? You say, should I forget about what I've done? No. Because the Bible says all that we've done is sin. I want God to know every single one of them if he died for them. But you know what? I don't tell him what I've done. I recognize what his son did. And that's... That is so pivotal because the Lord here says, today you will be 
with me in paradise. Today, with me in paradise. Salvation doesn't take six weeks, nor does it take six months or six years. Salvation doesn't take six minutes. You say, how long does it take for someone to get saved? As quickly as you can realize that Christ took your place of Calvary and died for your sins. You could believe that. Nothing else. Nothing more. We've been preaching for two weeks here. And you say every night we say the same thing. Christ took your place at Calvary. Christ died for our sins. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. He died for the ungodly. You know, I wonder sometimes of how great faith we talk about. We talk about a Moses who had a burning bush, a Daniel who, who escaped the lion's den, a Jonah who was let out of a whale, and you say, that's remarkable, the remarkable the faith these men had. You know what remarkable faith is? This man. Because all he had was the words of Jesus Christ. He had no burning bush, he had no whale, he had no lion, he had no, as it were, no sacrifice caught in the thicket, he had no thunderbolts from heaven, he had no message in the sky. All he had were the words of Jesus Christ and nothing more. You could be saved tonight because every night we start the meetings by quoting to you the words of God. And we simply say from the 7.30 mark to the 8.30 mark, take these words and stake your life on them. Believe them. Believe them from start to finish because that's what this man had. He believed the words that came from the lips of the Son of God. And if you will be in heaven one day, you, my friend, will have nothing more than the words that come from the lips of the Son of God. Today, you could know paradise. You could know sins forgiven. You could know peace with God. You could be saved before my foot touches that grass. We sang in the beginning of the hymn, in the meeting, Jesus is passing this way, right? Tenderly, softly and tenderly, Jesus calling, calling for sinners, come home. The remarkable thing about God, unlike some of our earthly parents, is that he forces no one to come home. He forces no one to come home tonight. He longs for people to come home. He longs for it, but he forces no one. And so my friend, the impetus is on you. Would you take him at his word tonight? Would you believe? that Christ took your place at Calvary, that the guilt that he was bearing on that center cross was your guilt, would you believe it? And would you be saved? Or would you leave this tent seeking to earn your way there? Any other way is foolish, considering that the man who hung on the center tree said, I am the way. And tonight, like this man, he was amazed. I'm still amazed at the God of heaven. He was undeserving. I will be undeserving not only this day, but a million years from now, I will still be undeserving of God's salvation. He was remembered. And tonight I could offer you the same thing. You would be remembered. Not only that, you would be reserved a place in heaven tonight because Christ died for you. I'd like to read in the Gospel of Luke as well. This time, Luke chapter 18. <clears throat> Luke chapter 18. 
and verse 35. Luke chapter 18 and verse 35. And it came to pass that as he, this is the Lord Jesus, was come nigh unto Jericho, a certain blind man sat by the wayside begging. And hearing the multitude pass by, he asked what it meant. And they told him that Jesus of Nazareth passeth by. And he cried, saying, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And they which went before rebuked him, that he should hold his peace. But he cried so much the more, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stood and commanded him to be brought unto him. And when he was come near, he asked him, saying, What wilt thou that I shall do unto thee? And he said, Lord, that I may receive my sight. And Jesus said unto him, Receive thy sight. Thy faith hath saved thee. And immediately he received his sight and followed him, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise unto God. And Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. Now, the next few verses are about the wealthy tax gatherer named Zacchaeus. And if you look down the chapter to verse 5, when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him. Zacchaeus had climbed a tree. And he said unto him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must abide at thy house. And he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all murmured, saying that he was going to be guest with a man that is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said unto the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have taken anything from any man by false accusation, I restore him fourfold. And Jesus said unto him, This day is salvation come to this house, for so much as he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. Now, finally, if you'll just look down the chapter to verse 41. And when he was come near, he beheld the city. Now, this is Jerusalem. He beheld the city, and he wept over it, saying, If thou hadst known even thou, at least in this thy day, the things which belong unto thy peace, but now they are hid from thine eyes. For the days shall come upon thee that thine enemies shall cast a trench about thee, and compass thee round, and keep thee in on every side, and shall lay thee even with the ground, and thy children within thee, and they shall not leave in thee one stone upon another, because thou knewest not the time of thy visitation. Now, with apologies to Charles Dickens, I'm going to speak tonight on a tale of two cities. Only these two cities are not London and Paris, of which he wrote, but Jericho and Jerusalem. And in the New Testament, two men are forever linked with the city of Jericho. I've read to you about them. One is Bartimaeus, the blind beggar, and the other is Zacchaeus, the wealthy tax gatherer. Both of them were saved by Christ. But you will notice that not everyone is saved the same way, are they? Because Bartimaeus is saved by a roadside outside the city, coming to the Lord Jesus. Zacchaeus is saved at the base of a tree inside the city. Not everyone is saved the same way, but everyone is saved by the same person, Christ, the Lord Jesus. And if you are ever going to have salvation, you are going to have to come to Christ. I know that Mr. Azudema and I are very thankful you have come to the meeting tonight. But if you are ever going to be in heaven, you will need to have a moment in your life when you come to Christ. Sometimes people go to church. They will go to someone, a religious advisor. They will go to someone who can give them advice. But if you are ever 
going to be in heaven, only Christ can save you. You will need to go to him. So both were saved by Christ. Please don't try to imitate how other people are saved. I did that. I cobbled together a way of salvation because I listened to people tell how they were saved. And I thought, all right, that, that's what happens. You, you're reading a verse and it jumps out at you and kind of smacks you in the face. And, and you say, oh, I've never seen that before in my life. And uh, that, that's what salvation is. And I was trying to go through steps that I had thought were how a person could be saved. When nothing was working, I went to Christ and he saved me. If you're going to be saved, you are going to have to come to the Lord Jesus. Notice that both had a physical deficiency, which pictures our spiritual deficiency. One was blind. The other was a little of stature. One man, and these, by the way, are descriptive words, I think, of our spiritual condition. One man couldn't see Jesus because he was a blind man. The other couldn't see Jesus because people had gotten in the way and he was short. Now, I think it is very interesting that those two terms are used to describe us in a spiritual sense, the Bible speaks about our being spiritually blind, that our sins have blinded our minds, that the devil blinds our minds so that we will not see how much we need Christ, what our danger is, and what Jesus has done for us at Calvary. Blind, which is why sometimes in a meeting like this, what happens is the blindfold is stripped away and a person suddenly faces eternal realities. And I, I've sometimes had people say to me, when they have trusted Christ, why did I never see that before? Why did I never see that before? Spiritually, we are blind. If you want to get your eyes open, you're going to have to turn to this book and allow God to give you light from his word. When you think about Zacchaeus and it says he was too short, little of stature, do you remember the words that Paul used to describe us in Romans 3 when he said, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God? So when we think about our being blind, we're reminded of our horrible inability to get to Christ, to understand salvation, unless this book guides us. And when we think of a man too short to see the Lord Jesus because of the crowd, we're reminded our, of our woeful need. We, we need Christ to save us because we cannot save ourselves. Both were saved by Christ. Both had a physical deficiency. Both were saved in an unlikely place. Jericho was a city linked with a curse. It was vastly different from the city of David, Zion, the city of God. Two times in scripture, though, Jericho is called the city of palm trees. It must have looked very attractive on the outside. You would never have dreamed that there was a curse lying on that city. You live in a world that is the equivalent of an amusement park with a sufficient number of things to amuse you and occupy your mind so that you will never stop to think about eternity. It's like a city of palm trees. Of course, the word amuse has a negation in front of it, the letter A. Just drop the letter A. To muse is to think deeply about a thing. To be amused is to be distracted so that you don't think deeply about a thing. And what our world wants to do is amuse people so that they will not think deeply about salvation. God wants to reach you tonight with the truth of the gospel. He wants to reach your mind. 
He wants to reach your heart. He wants to reach your soul. He wants you to understand how desperately you need Christ, how desperately you need salvation. I know that Missouri is in a different time zone. But I was thinking over this yesterday, and as far as I can determine, Friday night, my dear brother gave out the only time we have sung it in these tent meetings. He gave out the hymn Amazing Grace. Just about the time that we were singing Amazing Grace, there were two groups of people in Missouri who were singing Amazing Grace. Two memorials being held. Each place they sang the same hymn. That duck boat had been capsized. It had sunk. People had died. The Coleman family, nine people in the family were gone, wiped out. And all they could think about the next day when they got together was to sing about amazing grace. That there's still a God in heaven and that he could comfort the hearts of those who were mourning. So I want you to think about 80 mile an hour winds. And the captain telling you, you don't need a life vest, we're okay. And by the time they realized they weren't okay, they weren't able even to get to the life vest. And the ship being pummeled by the waves and turned upside down and sinking in the water. That's an unlikely place to be saved, isn't it? Well, there was one woman who was saved, one girl who was saved. She was saved because she said, my grandmother pushed me up to the surface. She died. And I live. She died. And I live. I will tell you what amazing grace is. That no matter who you are and no matter what you have done, God is ready to save you tonight if you will trust his beloved son. If you go home without salvation, that will be your choice. But God is ready tonight to save you if you will trust his son. Do you notice that both of these men had a deep desire for salvation? One cried out to Christ. Jesus, son of David, have mercy. One climbed the tree to get to see him. One wouldn't be shut up and one wouldn't be shut out. But this is something that preachers and parents can't give you. If you don't have an interest in getting to Christ, if you don't have a desire to be saved, there's nothing that either of the speakers or any of the Christians here can do. I wish I could put that in your heart. I wish we could do something or say something tonight that would put this kind of interest in your heart, the kind of interest that would compel the wealthy tax gatherer to run through the streets of the city, careless of who would see him, scale a tree because he must get to see Jesus. The kind of interest that would cause a blind man to cry out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And when the people around him tried to quiet him down, Luke recorded what happened using a different Greek word. The second time he says he cried out, he uses a word that almost has the idea of, a, of a, a desperate cry, the cry of a wounded animal, a trapped animal as he's, as, he's, as he's beseeching Christ, don't pass me by, mercy, mercy. I can't put that interest in your heart. I hope you will listen to God tonight. That's how that interest gets in a person's heart. When he listens to what God says and the truth of God's word convinces him of how much he needs salvation. You know that both were saved on their last opportunity. Both were saved on their last opportunity. They didn't know it. 
Didn't know it was their last. But they didn't miss it. Now, the thing is, as far as I know, no one knows when he's getting his last chance. You have no idea whether you'll be back Monday night. We have no idea whether we will be here to preach. We announced the meeting. No one knows when he's getting his last chance to hear the gospel. I will tell you what is known. If, like Zacchaeus, you seek the Lord while he may be found. If, like Bartimaeus, you call upon him while he's near. You can go home with salvation tonight. If, unlike Zacchaeus, you do not seek the Lord while he may be found. If, unlike Bartimaeus, you do not call upon him while he's near. You may find one day that your last opportunity is gone. So the question really comes to you. What are you going to do with Christ tonight? What are you going to do with Christ tonight? Did you notice? Did you notice what happened? Did you notice the repetition of the word? Did you notice that when the Lord Jesus says to Bartimaeus, what wilt thou that I should do for thee? Bartimaeus says that I might receive my sight. And Jesus says to him, receive thy sight. Come now inside the city. Come to that tree, that sycamore tree, where the Lord Jesus says, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down. Today I must abide at thy house. What does it say? Zacchaeus made haste and came down and received him. Received him joyfully. Those two men picture what happens whenever a person is saved. A person receives Christ, and by receiving Christ, he receives his sight. A person receives Christ, and by receiving Christ, he receives eternal life, which is why John writes, he that has the Son has life. He that does not have the Son does not have life. Do you want Christ tonight? Because if you receive him, you'll get your sight like Bartimaeus. You'll have your sins washed away, as we've been reminded. You'll have eternal life. You'll have a place in heaven if you will receive him. Years ago, there was a gospel preacher named Reginald Radcliffe. And there were a number of people who stayed behind after a meeting with questions about how to be saved. And he was trying to help each of them. And he, he came to a woman and he said to her, yes, what is it that you want? She said to him, Mr. Radcliffe, I want peace. Do you know what he did? Do you know what he did? He said to her, oh, I thought it was Christ you wanted. Good night, madam. And he walked away. She watched him go and she thought, how rude. How rude. What does that mean? I thought it was Christ that you wanted. She actually left annoyed. But she had heard enough of the gospel that four words came into her mind when she got home. They're from the book of Ephesians. He, Christ, he is our peace. And she thought, oh, if I receive Christ, I'll have peace. That's what he meant. If you receive Christ, you'll have peace. If you receive Christ, you'll have salvation. Are you, are you looking for peace with God? Receive Christ. Do you want to be sure you'll never be in hell? Receive Christ. You say, well, I, I, I've committed so many sins. How would I ever get them forgiven? Receive Christ as many as receive him. They become the children of God. And so Zacchaeus joyfully received him. And Bartimaeus receives his sight from the Savior who saves sinners. So I'm going to close by just pointing out to you the second city, Jerusalem. 
In this passage that we have read, Jericho is getting its last chance. The Lord Jesus was on the way back to heaven. He was passing through Jericho. He would never be back. That's why Bartimaeus had one chance, one opportunity. That's why Zacchaeus had one opportunity, their last opportunity. So Jericho was getting its last chance. In the sense in which I am speaking, Jerusalem has already had its last chance. And the Lord Jesus weeps over the city. The visits and ministry of the Lord Jesus had provided Jerusalem with a golden opportunity. What the Lord Jesus calls thy day. If thou hadst known even thou at least in this thy day. What did he say to Zacchaeus? This day. This day. This was your day and you took it. So this day salvation has come to this house. But then he has to weep over Jerusalem that their day. They let it pass. If thou hadst known even thou, at least in this thy day. You see, they had never sought to see Jesus who he was. They had never cried out for mercy like Bartimaeus. And so now he's weeping because he knows what's going to happen to them. The visits and ministry of the Lord Jesus had brought the light of truth into that ancient city. But Jerusalem was as blind as Bartimaeus, did not realize who it was. John the Baptist would say, away back at the beginning of the Lord Jesus' ministry, there stands one among you that you don't know. The Lord Jesus would say to them in the midst of his ministry, if you had known me, you would have known my father also. He would say at the end of his ministry, have I been so long with you and hast thou not known me? They were blind to who he was and now the opportunity was gone. If only, if only they had cried out. If only you would cry out to him tonight. If only you would seek him tonight. Because he wept over a city that had missed their opportunity. By receiving Christ, the house of Zacchaeus was filled with the joy of salvation. This day is salvation come to this house. You know what the Lord Jesus said about Jerusalem? Your house is left to you empty. Empty. Because you did not know the time of your visitation. So as the meeting closes... I'd like to ask you. We sang it at the beginning, didn't we? Jesus is passing this way. That's what happens when gospel meetings are held and the gospel is preached. It's as though the Lord Jesus were coming through Wyckoff, coming through Midland Park, coming through North Jersey here. And gospel preaching brings to people, it just brings it closer to a person. The opportunity to be saved because faith comes by hearing the word of God. So here, the God of heaven put into the hearts of the Christians who meet at the gospel hall in Midland Park to put this tent up and have the meetings. That wasn't just customary or habit or routine. So the tent comes. And they were kind enough to ask us to do the preaching. We're just two ordinary men, but what an extraordinary message. God is offering you salvation. Christ is passing by. Are you just going to let him pass? Because there were a lot of people who lived in the city of Jericho who never heard these words. Salvation has come to this house. Just one home. There were a lot of needy beggars who could have had their eyes opened and their, their uh, infirmities healed, but they never cried for mercy. So I'm going to ask you as I close. You're going to let him pass. Or will you turn to him tonight? The poet put it in these words, Jesus, I will trust thee. Trust thee with my soul. I'm guilty, vile, and helpless, but thou canst make me whole. Trust him tonight. Receive him, and you will be saved.